Open the precious Word of God with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the first of the three pastoral epistles where our beloved brother Paul addressed 1 Timothy and then Titus as to how they should conduct themselves in the house of God. Let me read to you verses 3 through 5. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. The context for these verses is first, in the two verses that opened up the chapter, the Apostle Paul telling Timothy to make sure he taught a good Christian work ethic. The words are in verses 1 and 2, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. This is practical theology. The Bible is not just a mystical book of theology for monasteries. It's a book of practical theology and applied theology of how we actually live out the doctrine that is according to godliness. And in this case, it's a great work ethic. Whether you're working for an unbeliever or you're working for a believer, in either case, we are to honor that believer, fear them, subject ourselves to them, and work very hard for them that the word of God be not blasphemed. Because it's appropriate to blaspheme the word of God when men who call themselves Christians do not work hard on the job. And it was by the Lord's mercy to direct us a few weeks ago to a few sermons about a Christian work ethic. That's here in the context. The religion of Jesus Christ extends right down into our lives where the rubber meets the road and where we get up every morning and go off to work. It is not just a Sunday religion. It's not just a monastery or convent religion. It's not just a time of devotional religion. It's not just a time of corporate public worship religion. It's applied religion. Every day in our lives, how we practically live out what Jesus Christ has taught us. The following context is to be content with such things as the Lord gives us, because we came into this world with nothing, and it is certain that we are not going to carry much out. Uh, Not much at all. And therefore, the love of money is the root of all evil which while some men have covered it after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. In the middle here is a warning about false teachers that would bring another kind of preaching. In verses 3 through 5. Notice that first of all, it's applied religion that the Apostle Paul is expecting of Timothy and warning Timothy against false teachers who would have a different kind of religion. Second of all, I want you to note that it's the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3 that are connected to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Now in verse 1, it was the the name of God and His doctrine not being blasphemed. Because the name of God is associated with His doctrine. You cannot believe in God without believing in the doctrine of God. And that is the teaching of God. Doctrine is another word for teaching, a body of teaching, systematic instruction. That's what doctrine is. And the doctrine of God is to be defended by our lives and by the teachers that are submitted to and endorsed. False teachers would arise, and Paul is identifying them here in verse 3 for Timothy. And the first thing he notes is they teach otherwise than the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't consent to those words. They don't submit themselves to what Jesus Christ taught. And He is our Master, our Teacher, and our Rabbi, and the Leader of our religion. 
There is no other instruction. His apostles simply taught what he taught them. The Bible makes that very clear. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. They're foundation stones, but he's the cornerstone. The apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. Paul, when he set forth the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, said, I received it of the Lord Jesus. And there's many quotes of the Lord Jesus in the writings of Paul. Some direct and some indirect. But I want you to note that. That the doctrine of godliness is set forth by the words, the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to further note that these false teachers that would depart from Jesus' word are heretics and imposters. And that Timothy was to withdraw himself from them, as the last clause tells us of verse 5. I want you to note that Paul was unmerciful toward them. There was no accommodating false teachers that did not submit themselves to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine of God. Note the things that Paul said. This kind of preaching is gone today for the most part. Because men will no longer endure sound doctrine. They have heaped to themselves teachers because they have itching ears, and they've turned their ears away from the truth, and they've turned their ears unto fables. That's That's 2 Timothy chapter 4. And it's happened today. When people go to church today, they want to go very comfortably, and they want to be treated very comfortably. They want a praise band, and they want entertainment and fables rather than sound doctrine because they don't want to endure that. You know, when I was a boy growing up, they began to make fun of fire and brimstone preaching. That was the terminology they used for a Bible thumper, as they also called them. But it's progressively got worse and worse to where church today is nothing but entertainment. Storytelling by a guy very casually dressed in a praise band that makes a bunch of noise that you could get at any nightclub. And you're there for a little while and you go away. There's no demands placed on you. By the word of God and by the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of those wholesome words being verses 1 and 2 that tell us how we better work on the job Monday through Friday if we call ourselves Christians. Some of those words being verses 6 through 10 telling us that contentment is more important than success in accumulating things. Let us note in our three verses, verses 3 through 5, That Paul here is condemning church growth gurus. You know, there are people today that believe that gain is godliness. Look at us. Look at how we're growing. Isn't that proof that we're godly? No, that is not proof. That is what Paul is arguing against. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain is not necessarily godliness. If we were to measure... Great gain in the New Testament, we would find that Jesus was not a very successful evangelist. We find that after three and a half years of telling them to continue in the faith, there were 120 in Jerusalem that gathered together for prayer. That's not a very big church. And if we would follow from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we would find that the churches of Jesus Christ in the New Testament often met in houses. And houses back then weren't as big as houses today. Those were small churches in many cases. There were some large ones. Jerusalem eventually was huge. Gain is not godliness. And so we have a warning here about church growth gurus that we ought to modify the message, alter the programs, change everything we can about a church, get rid of the word Baptist from our name. Let's call it the Greenville Fellowship. In order to accommodate as many people as possible so we can grow. We know how to grow. We could blow this place apart and rent one of the, one of the derelict stores in town and seat a thousand people by cranking up the volume of the music. Rick Warren says in all of his preachers conferences, rule number one, make this music uncomfortably loud for you. Because then it's just right for the young generation because it sounds like they're at a rock concert. But there is nothing like that taught in the New Testament. These are men that are not consenting to the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Timothy's told to withdraw himself from them in the last clause of verse 5. It's a shame that in modern Bible versions, that last clause is completely deleted so that it's not even there. 
and the clause before that is corrupted, so it doesn't teach the same thing. The Bible says they believe that gain is godliness. The other versions say they use godliness for a means of gain. But the point being in the context is to be content and not to look at gain as success. Contentment with godliness is great gain is the very next verse telling us that gain is not godliness. We can understand what that clause ought to be by its context. And so the word of God has been changed for many people so they don't even know what the passage is teaching. And it doesn't show the doctrine of separation that's necessary to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to follow the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ, then teachers that don't submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and His words of the New Testament are to be withdrawn from. There is constantly division over Him. When our brother Leon read John chapter 7, it says there was a division among the people because of Him. Three times that occurs in the Gospel of John. There was a division among the people because of Him. And when the true Lord Jesus Christ is preached, there will always be a division. Simeon, as he held the baby Jesus, spoke to Mary and said about how her heart was going to be broken and what was going to happen in his life. And he said, this child is set for the rising and fall of many in Israel because he's going to be spoken against by many. You saw that in some of the passages that were read. He's from Galilee. What prophet is coming out of Galilee? Well, if they'd have done a little bit more research, they'd have found out that he did come from Bethlehem. They knew that he came from Bethlehem. That's where he was born. That's where he was taxed with his legal father, Joseph. The wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want today to remind you and to provoke you that our master, our teacher, our leader is the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And his words and the words of his apostles, but primarily his words are words that we want to love and submit ourselves to and seek and read and delight in. If I were to ask you to write down your ten favorite words, statements of the Lord Jesus Christ, could you, could you do that in less than a couple hours? Could, could you do it? Do you know some wonderful things that Jesus Christ said that you delight in? I want to provoke you toward that. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We read about some disciples in the three passages that were read today. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch in Acts chapter 11. We're Christians. We're followers of Jesus Christ. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower or a pupil or a learner that follows a teacher and his body of doctrine. In that sense, we are definitely disciples of Jesus Christ because we want to follow his wholesome words and the doctrine which is according to godliness. We're Bible Christians. Meaning that our Christianity is defined by one source document. It is not defined by tradition. It is not defined by habit. It is not defined by what is popular. It is not defined by the purpose-driven life or the purpose-driven church or the purpose-driven pastor out in California. It's defined by the Word of God. Bible Christians. Because if it weren't for the Bible, we wouldn't even know there was a Jesus Christ with any evidence. The evidence of Jesus Christ is found in the pages of Scripture, and how to follow Christ is found in the pages of Scripture. So we're Bible Christians. Right. We want to delight ourselves in Jesus Christ our Lord. We don't want to be called Lutherans after a man named Martin Luther. We want to be called Christians after a man named Jesus the Christ. He is our rabbi. He's our master. He's our teacher. All those words meaning basically the same thing. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 18, and let's find one of the early prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ as a teacher, as a prophet, that God would raise up for His people Israel, first of all, fleshly and national Israel, and then the combined Israel of saved Jews and Gentiles. The wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wholesome words are not found on the Disney Channel. You know, sometimes when you hear people use the word wholesome, They're talking about Anne of Green Gables. I don't know why you think that's wholesome. Show me how much fear of God there is taught by Anne of Green Gables. How much doctrine that is according to godliness is taught by Anne of Green Gables. Or my three sons. Or leave it to Beaver. You know, 
I understand how they're using the word wholesome in those cases, but I want you to love the words, the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you want some really good words, if you want some powerful and weighty words, some profound and valuable words, you want the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Because when he spoke, what did the officers say that came to arrest him? Never man spake like this man. Praise the Lord. They had the courage to go back and tell the truth, didn't they? The Pharisees saw the officers come back in with their weapons and, and writs of arrest. Where is he? We ain't touching him. Never man spake like this man. Amen. We want to delight ourselves in that. He's our leader. He's our teacher. He's the head of our church, the bishop of our souls. He's the cornerstone. And the head, he's all in all Amen. to Christians. And we want to love his words. And we want to submit ourselves to them. The reason is important. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he was afraid that the Corinthians were weak enough that if preachers came teaching another Jesus and another gospel, bringing another spirit, those Corinthians might well bear with them. That is, go ahead and allow them into the ministerial fellowship of the Corinthian church and allow them to have the pulpit once in a while, though they were preaching another Jesus. It's important for us to know that there's more than one Jesus in the world. The devil isn't going to come and say, let's have the first church of the devil. He's going to come and say, let's have a church that follows Jesus in a different way, a more modern way, a more progressive way, a more acceptable and accommodating way. And so we want to be on guard against it. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ, withdraw thyself from such. Amen. Back to Deuteronomy 18. Let me read these verses to you beginning at verse 15 down through verse 18 or 19. Somewhere in there we'll stop. But I want you to get this wonderful prophecy. And if you were listening very careful, very carefully to Brother Leon when he read in John chapter 7, The Jews were asking among themselves, is this the prophet? Now, when the Jews were asking, was Jesus the prophet? They're talking about this prophet. There's a special prophet that God had prophesied that would come, who was also the Messiah. Sometimes they didn't get those two things wed together, because the same man was going to be both, the man Lord Jesus Christ. But this is what we're dealing with right here. Here's the prophecy. Deuteronomy 18.15 Moses speaking to Israel The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And oh, did the Lord Jesus ever require it of that generation that heard the words of God from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ and did not heed them. There are several things here that I hope are precious to you. When Israel stood around Mount Sinai in Horeb, and God came down on Mount Sinai, and the Bible says the whole mountain was a shaking, and it looked like a fire of a furnace that was blasting up into heaven, and the, the noise of a trumpet waxed louder and louder, and God's voice was thundering from Mount Sinai. All the people, you know, they, they saw the velvet teller line ropes around the bottom of the mountain because they had been told if even a beast passes that rope, he's to be thrust through with darts. Now, that's quite a worship service. Do you think, do you think they were paying attention? Amen. Yes. But they were afraid. And so they said to Moses, we don't want to hear any more of God's voice. It's too much for us. We want someone like you to talk to us. And so Moses went up, and he came back down. Now, when Moses came back down from being with the Lord for 40 days, he had to put a veil on. Right. And it's not because he was effeminate. 
It's because his face was glowing so much from having been in the presence of God that he had to put a veil on so that the people could even be in the presence of Moses after he'd been in the presence of the Lord because to have the words of God revealed are a glorious thing and he was shining from it. You know what 2 Corinthians 3 tells us about that? Your New Testament is better than what Moses brought down from Mount Sinai because it exceeds in glory. This is why we have the passage. The Lord said to Moses, I heard those words... I like those words. The Lord already knew he was going to raise up the Lord Jesus Christ. I will raise up a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brethren that can speak to them directly. He'll be about six foot tall. He'll be a man. And he will speak the word, but he'll also be God in the flesh. And he will speak my words. Did you, how many times did Jesus say in the Gospel of John, Brother Matthew, I'm not going to ask you how many times, but I know that you've been reading John with great delight recently. How many times did Jesus say, the words that I speak are not my words, but the words of Him that sent me? In in perfect fulfillment of this prophecy right here, God raised up a man, the man Christ Jesus, who is the fullness of the Godhead in a human body, to come and address the people of Israel, have His words written down by gospel writers, that we now can read in the red writing in in your Bibles. I wish I had... Never bought my Oxford Bible. Doesn't have red letter edition. I grew up with red letter edition. It's so helpful to immediately spot what is being spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18. You know the prophet. You don't have to ask, is this the prophet? The prophet is the Lord Jesus Christ. He did prophesy, and his prophecies that that were for the first 2,000 years after his life on earth have been fulfilled. And the ones that have not yet been fulfilled will be fulfilled. Because the passage goes on to say, how do we tell a true prophet from a false prophet? The one whose prophecies come true. Therefore, Benny Hinn is not a true prophet, because Benny Hinn's been forecasting things about Fidel Castro and sodomites in America and raising the dead and stuff for the last 20 years, and they haven't come to pass. Everybody can read it. All you got to do is read the Bible, listen to Benny Hinn for five minutes, and know that Benny Hinn's a false prophet. I hope no one's offended with me naming a name. He's a false prophet. Jesus is a true prophet. You should be thankful for the distinction. We don't want any confusion about that matter. They're not like each other. One isn't representing the other. One has another Jesus. Another gospel. And believe me, another spirit. Listen, if you've ever watched his wife get down and crawl around on a stage, growling like an animal, you will know that it's not the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ that's in her. If you've ever listened to Mrs. Benny Hinn preach, when she gets up there and tells you that you need a Holy Ghost enema, you know that you're not listening to someone... I'll send you the video clip. You can watch her and listen to her at the same time. You don't have a true prophet of God or a prophetess. Because the rest of this chapter goes on. But what we want to do is delight in the Lord Jesus Christ and the wholesome words. Because we read here, God said, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them, that is the people of Israel, all that I shall command him. And whoever will not hearken to those words. Do you know what Jesus said to the Pharisees of his day in Matthew 21? If you'll hear my words and repent, you can be broken. If you'll fall on this stone, you'll be broken. But if this stone, speaking of himself, falls on you, it will grind you to powder. It shall be required of him, it says in verse 19. This is the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We had, let's turn over to Isaiah 50 and look at that reference that was read to us by my father. Isaiah 50. I hope you got that fourth verse. These are prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ being raised up to be a prophet, a teacher, a master, a rabbi in Israel. I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak them. The people said he had a good idea, that they didn't want me to directly address them. I'll send a prophet like you, Moses, to do it. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 50 and verse 4, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Jesus Christ grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men, and the Lord filled him with wisdom and speech. More to say on that in just a minute. Some of you know where I'm going to go, because some of you read Matthew 22 last night, and you know exactly how powerful the Lord Jesus Christ was as a speaker. But here... While, we're, while we read that he had the tongue of the learned, which mean, means he had a great deal of wisdom and knowledge and understanding, 
He also could speak a word of comfort in season to those that were weary. And the Lord Jesus did that as well, didn't he? Are there comforting words in Scripture that we love? Uh, Maybe this is on your top ten. You know, I I was going to say, let's have the top 40 of Jesus' sayings. But when I started to try to whittle them down to 40, I said, we can't do the top 40. How do we do the top 40? How about the top 100? No. Can't. Where would you stop? How would you say one made the cut and one didn't? Did Jesus say um, that the the weary and the burden could come unto him because his yoke is easy and his burden is light and they could find rest for their souls? Is that a comforting word to those who are troubled and weighed down? He had a word that he could speak in season to him that was weary. Here we have the tongue of the Lord Jesus Christ being prophesied. Come over to John chapter 7 and let's read about this tongue of the learned. John chapter 7. I want to show you a passage that you know about the apostles because when Peter talked, you knew he didn't get far in school. And his report card may not have been all that good when he did bring it home for the grades he did go. Because when he opened his mouth, they all knew that he was unlearned. Acts chapters 4 tell us that. But they also knew another thing about him, that he'd been with Jesus. We want to speak that way. Who cares if we speak all that eloquently as long as we can speak the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can, you can get them into your heart, soul, and in your lips by reading his word and talking about it with others. Right. John chapter 7. I would like to read to you verses 14 and 15. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying... How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? We have no record that Jesus graduated from high school, college, or seminary. How does this man know Hebrew scriptures the way he does and teach in the temple the way he does? How does he know? You know, because you have Isaiah 50 and verse 4, and you're having them put together for you. Some of the Jews understood that, but most of them didn't. They marveled. How does he do this? Because God gave him the tongue of the learned. He was able to speak. Now this is when he was 30 plus years old. Had he shown signs of a learned tongue before that? Oh yes. How old was he? Twelve. When he could answer a few questions? Or could he ask a few questions? I'm getting ahead of myself right now. I've, I've had such pleasure in this aspect of thinking about the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews trembled when Jesus would say these words. I will ask you a question. (laughs) They trembled. You know, they came to Jesus one time and they said, By what authority do you do these things? Who gave you the authority to come in and try to change our religion like this? Jesus said, I will ask you a question, and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. I love it. Do you love your Savior? Amen. He said, John the Baptist, is it authority from heaven or from men? Oh, the Lord tells us their reasoning. They got together in a little cluster and said, if we say, if we say it's from heaven, all the people are going to wonder why we won't obey him. <laughs> if we say it's from men, all the people are going to stone us because they know he's a prophet. <laughs> so what did these learned doctors say we don't know we can't answer your question you know what Jesus said well then I'm not going to answer yours either that is the Lord Jesus Christ and if you don't like that Lord Jesus Christ you don't like the one of the Bible there's a more politically correct one taught today you can have them this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible. Amen. The Lord gave him a learned tongue. And I love reading about his tongue. And for those of you who read Matthew 22, he took him apart, didn't he? Amen. Point of doctrine after point of doctrine. Ever read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7? Powerful theology. Every five, six verses, he's taking apart another doctrine of the Pharisees and destroying it. But I say unto you, ye have heard by them of old time. That's not Moses. He's talking about rabbinical learning of the Jews and their traditions. Ye have heard by them of old time, but I say unto you, and that is the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He had the tongue of the learned. We want to love His wholesome words. He's our leader. He's our teacher. He's the education we need the most. We want to learn the words, the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine that is according to godliness that He taught. The apostles picked up His words. He taught them that He gave them the Holy Spirit to remember everything He had taught them so that they could go and teach those very things. The apostle Paul had him as a private tutor for three years in Arabia where he was taught those things and then he went and taught them. We have it all written down for us. It's called the more sure word of prophecy. It's better than hearing God's voice from heaven in the presence of Jesus, Moses, and Elijah according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. It is the more sure word of prophecy. And when Peter there says it's the more sure word of prophecy, he's comparing it to his experience in the Mount of Transfiguration when he heard God's voice from heaven. Because we have it in writing. If I came to you this morning and said, I've been to the mountaintop. I've been to the mountaintop and I heard God speak to me. I mean, I hope every single one of you would have this gigantic question mark in your minds. How do you know it was God? Are you sure you heard Him correctly? And is your memory working good today? That you're going to tell us exactly as you heard it. You know what? You don't have any of those fears, do you? Because we have the Word of God. And every man who opens his mouth in the name of God can be checked by the Word of God. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. I'm sorry I'm taking so long just getting you warmed up. I don't care. This, this part was so precious to me just to think upon the wholesome words and how the Lord had prepared him to be such a great teacher. And he is our great teacher. Amen. Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. I have a typo. It's Matthew 12, please. Matthew 12. That's a transposition. See, what if I transposed what the Lord told me when I went to the mountaintop and I had a dream for you today, but I got it transposed? You're in trouble. There's no transpositions in the Bible. There's just transpositions by those who type Bible references. Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. Jesus said, the queen of the south, do you know her name? The queen of Sheba. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Brethren, I spent weeks teaching you the book of Ecclesiastes a few months ago, and we delighted in the wisdom of the philosophy of God taught by Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. How to live a happy, fulfilled, godly, enjoyable, peaceful, pleasant life. And yet, the Queen of Sheba is going to rise up with this generation that heard the Lord Jesus Christ firsthand, personally, and condemn it, because a greater than Solomon was there, because Jesus was a greater teacher than Solomon. Now, all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. The Bible tells us that. However, among the teachers, the Lord Jesus Christ was always inspired. Solomon was not always inspired, because Solomon did a lot of uninspired things. Solomon did a lot of wicked things like marrying pagan princesses and building temples to their pagan gods. But the Lord Jesus Christ never did such a thing. And the Lord Jesus Christ could answer every dilemma. The Lord Jesus Christ and Solomon in in a debate, there's no contest. No contest. Forfeit Solomon before you get ashamed. The Lord Jesus Christ is the master and teacher and rabbi. And that's what Jesus here is saying about himself. And about the judgment that would come upon those cities that saw his works and heard his words and did not believe on him. Because the Queen of Sheba was impressed by Solomon and they should have been impressed by the Son of God. We do not allow any compromise or debate about the authority or the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 16.22 tells us this. This is the words of Paul about his Savior. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ... Let him be anathema maranatha. Let him be cursed at the coming of Christ. That is strong language. But that's the Jesus of the Bible being defended by the greatest apostle of the Bible. And that's the attitude we have about our teacher. If you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, then anathema maranatha to you. Have fun living your life any way you wish. 
But we're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to love His words, His wholesome words. We're going to defend those words, learn those words, try to rightly divide those words, and live by those words, even on the job. Because His words include how we ought to work. The world loves quotations. Some of you, when you get emails from colleagues, they got a little quote at the bottom. You know, of some writer, some politician, some businessman, some sports hero. You see the little quotes at the bottom of their email. The world loves quotations of men, whether they have wisdom or they don't have wisdom. But we have our Lord's wholesome words. Do we delight in them as much as we should? We have the wholesome words of the Son of God. We have the wholesome words that God gave to the Jesus of Nazareth to give to us. Do you read for them? Do you delight in them? When you're reading them, does your soul burn? It should. If you've grieved or quenched the Holy Spirit, it may not. It will not. If you're walking with the Lord and you're full of the Spirit, you're going to burn as you read His words. Because the Spirit of God is there to teach you the words of Jesus Christ. And He loves those words. He inspired those words by the Gospel writers. You know, they can have their quotes. You know, a little book that was printed and that, that was printed in numbers comparable to the Bible is, is Mao Zedong's. Ma, I won't say it because that would be cursing a ruler. Mao Zedong's quotations called the Little Red Book. It was printed about five billion times in China because you had to carry it. Now, see, that he had to force everyone to carry a little red book. When you went to work in a factory in China, you had to take an hour out of your day and gather around with the rest of your communist non-workers and sit around and read the quotations of Chairman Mao of the Communist Party. Every picture that you saw between the years 1964 and 1976 in China, every printed picture, every billboard, would show a Chinese person with a big smile on their face, though there weren't any on the streets. Big smile on his face, looking very confident and holding in his hand, Chairman Mao's book of quotations. You can go read it online now. It would be a big waste of time. Why don't you read Mad Magazine? There's no value there or profit. They had to get rid of him and his little red book for there to be any progress in that nation. They have their little books. We have the Bible. We don't care what Gandhi said, Ben Franklin said, MLK said, or JFK said. What does the Lord Jesus Christ have to say on this subject? You know, when we think about that, we think about people wearing a little bracelet that says WWJD on it. What would Jesus do? We're not sure what Jesus they're talking about when they wear that bracelet. Because the Jesus of the Bible doesn't allow bracelets like that. Do you know where he said that he doesn't allow bracelets like that? In Matthew chapter 23, when he condemned phylacteries and anything of an outward appearance that tried to indicate that you were a spiritually minded follower of him or of God, when you ought to be showing it in the privacy of your closet and he would reward you openly for your secret religion and because you would show it by a changed life, Not because you were wearing a box of scripture strapped to your forehead or strapped on your arm or the borders of your garment enlarged to show that you were holier than others. Remember that God had them put a little blue fringe on the bottom of their garments to remind them of how holy God was and that if they violated his holiness, they were worthy of death. Remember that lesson that we've had from the Old Testament? They would enlarge that border to try to say that they were holier than the average person with only a one-inch hem. Because they had a two-incher. And they would strap a bigger box on their forehead until they had to walk with a limp. Because they had a phylactery on. Scripture in a box strapped to your arm. The Lord doesn't want us wearing outward things like that. Instead of wearing a bracelet that says WWJD, why don't we ask WDJT? What did Jesus teach? That's right. Amen. And one of the things Jesus taught was not to wear bracelets telling everybody that you're a follower of Jesus. Show everybody that you're a follower of Jesus. Do you know how you keep the Word of God and His doctrine from being blasphemed according to 1 Timothy 6? It's how you work on the job, not whether you have WWJD on your cubicle. Show them by your life. Show them by your work ethic. Show them by your zeal. Show them by your kindness. Show them by your charity. Show them by your gentleness. Your love of your neighbor. Your help. Your respect of your employer, your thankfulness for your job, 
Show them by all those Christian traits of Jesus Christ. We want the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus teach? Because when you say WWJD, but you don't learn the Bible, then you're making up a Jesus and his religion according to your own imagination. Which happens so many times. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ were gracious. Does Psalm 45 tell us that grace was poured into his lips? His lips were full of grace. When he went to his hometown of Nazareth and stood up and read Isaiah 61 in his hometown synagogue and then sat down and every eye in the place was on him, he said, this day are these scriptures fulfilled in your midst. One of the most touching passages of the Bible to me. He came to his hometown when it was time for the reading of scripture. Jesus got up and went up front opened up the book and turned it to Isaiah 61 and read Isaiah 61, closed the book, gave it to the the master of ceremonies there, went and sat down. Every eye was on him. He had just read the first three verses of Isaiah 61. And he said, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your midst. And it said they all marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Because to stand up and say that you were fulfilling the messianic prophecy of Isaiah 61 is quite a statement. But he said it so graciously that even his enemies marveled at his gracious words. The words of Jesus Christ were gracious. They were his enemies because five minutes later they wanted to kill him because he opened up with the doctrine of election. He said, you people are going to ask me to do the miracles that I did in Capernaum. A prophet is not without honor. Save in his own country. Everywhere else I go, I get honor. But when I come to my hometown of Nazareth, I don't get honor. Let me remind you that God has made a distinction by the showing of his miracles in time past. There were many lepers in Israel, but God saved the Syrian leper named Naaman. There were many widows that were starving in Israel, but God took care of the little widow of Zarepta. They rose up in anger, led him to the brow of a hill to cast him off a cliff. But even his enemies had to admit, he spoke graciously. Oh, Lord, help us to always speak the truth, but to do it graciously, as your son did. Look at Matthew chapter 7. You're close at hand if your Bible is still open to Matthew 12. Look at Matthew 7 and the concluding description of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you watch a Hollywood production like Jesus of Nazareth, you'll have him... He could be giving the Sermon on the Mount, sitting cross-legged like a Hindu guru, whispering with his eyes cast down his long John Lennon locks. He looks terrible. I mean, that's not how the Lord Jesus Christ preached. All you got to do is read these three chapters with a little bit of understanding and know that every five verses he is taking apart the religion of the Jews as taught by the Pharisees. And here's what the audience thought of the Sermon on the Mount. In the last two verses of Matthew 7, it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings. These are the the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He was a totally different kind of a preacher. And if you read it, he's tearing apart point after point after point of doctrine with his instruction and pointing out the hypocrisy of people who don't do it the right way. Making fun of those who would blast their trumpets before they gave their alms in the temple and make a big public show of it. Just point after point he made. The people were astonished at his doctrine because these are the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love the Jesus Christ, the Bible? Do you love his teachings? God put his words in him to give to you. And we do delight in them. And his words were irrefutable. Look at Matthew chapter 22 that some of you read last evening. Matthew chapter 22, and we'll go to the last verse of this chapter. Jesus has taken apart those who came and tried to tempt him about paying income taxes to a pagan emperor. That's earlier in the chapter. Then he took apart the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. Then he thought while he was at it, he might as well get the Pharisees involved. He took them apart about... What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Oh, they didn't like his questions. Whose son is he? And they said he's the son of David. And so Jesus quoted from their scriptures and said, If he's the son of David, then why did David call him Lord? What father goes around calling his son Lord? Oh, 
Sweet, sweet words of Jesus Christ. Look at the last verse. And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Praise the Lord. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? But the real issue is, do you love his words? Do you read them? You know, it's easier to read Sports Illustrated because you have a flesh that loves nothing. But do you love the Lord Jesus Christ and His words? It's easier to read Business Week. It's easier to read Time. But do you read the Bible and look for the words of the Lord Jesus Christ? Our devotion is to Him. Our devotion is not to the Catholic caricature of Him that hang on so many walls inside a frame. That isn't a picture of Jesus of the Bible. That's a picture of a Roman Catholic caricature of Jesus. Our Jesus never looked like that. He didn't walk around with the hair of a woman. He had short hair. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. He didn't look like that when he was on earth, and he certainly doesn't look like that now. Because what color is his hair now, according to Revelation 1 and Revelation 19? White White as snow. We're not devoted to that caricature. We're not devoted to some mysterious concept or legend like Buddha. We are dedicated to the man, Christ Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, died in the 33rd year of his life at the hands of the Roman Empire by the instigation of the Jews, who rose up after three days in the grave, after 40 days of showing himself alive by many infallible proofs, ascended up into heaven. He sits at God's right hand, a Savior forever, and he will not lose a single one that God gave him to save. And someday you're going to love him when you stand before God, and Jesus Christ is going to intervene as your mediator and deliver you from the just punishment that your sins deserve, because your Savior is going to be there in the form of a man. Because he is a man, the man, Christ Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead in a human body. Thank you, Lord. And he spoke to us while he was on earth and gave us many wonderful sayings that we can delight in. Look at Luke chapter 10. You know this passage. Do you live this passage? Luke chapter 10. You know it very well. Do we live it like we should? Ask yourself. Are you Martha or Mary? Luke 10:38. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Praise the Lord for this little comparison. It is so easy for us to get wrapped up in the details and duties of life that we forget our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ of sitting at His feet, delighting to be in His presence and walking with Him and wanting to hear His Word. Do you sit down with the Bible in a private place and read it to be at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the High King of Heaven, and hear His Word? He doesn't speak it to us like Mary was able to hear it because we have something better than that. We have it in writing by numerous witnesses that saw him alive after his passion. Do we have that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? We want more than a religion. We want a relationship. And we want his word. Martha, you're careful and troubled about many things. She was worried about serving him a great meal. This was the Lord of glory. Do you know how fast he could have prepared the meal himself? Had he done it before? Had he taken care of 5,000 rather quickly? Was he good at catering? What was she worried about? But you know what? We get so worried about all the little details. Mary, Jesus said Mary was in the right place. Mary was doing the needful thing. And Mary was doing the good thing. And he was not going to take it away from her because she had made the better choice. Do you make the choice every day? To take the word of God and let the Lord Jesus Christ speak to you and to learn the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know what we all should say. 
God, forgive us for not loving the words of Jesus Christ like we should. Forgive us for getting so distracted with the details and distractions of our lives that we don't sit at the feet of Jesus as much as we should. You know, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, a teacher in his own right. But do you know what he did by night in John chapter 3? He came to Jesus and said, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, because no man can do these miracles that thou doest. He wanted to learn. And you heard our brother Leon refer to Nicodemus, didn't you? Nicodemus tried to defend Jesus in that council of the Jews, and they ridiculed him by saying, You also, born, you also come from Galilee? Are you trying to defend him because he's a Galilean? Because you're from Galilee? Nicodemus made up for it later, didn't he? He helped bury the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a believer. He had a problem with a little bit of fear of men. And so do we at times. And may the Lord give us the strength not to. We can find at the age of 12 that Jesus sat with the doctors of the law in Jerusalem for a couple of days after his parents had left. And his parents came back and they all marveled at the answers he was able to give to their questions and the questions he was able to give to them at the age of 12. The wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. They dreaded him asking a question. My design and purpose is to provoke you to love the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and to get into your Bible and to look for them, to sit at his feet and to be taught by him. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. See what the Apostle Paul would say about this matter that I am trying to provoke you to think about. We had a prayer offered this morning by a brother in the prayer room up front asking the Lord to help us that if we love him to keep his commandments. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So you can't go talking about Jesus and you can't sing the song, Oh, how I love Jesus, unless you're going to keep his commandments. And his commandments impact all the parts of our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, look at these words. Please follow with me, beginning at verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. These are the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Ephesian saints never saw Jesus of Nazareth. The Ephesian saints never heard Jesus of Nazareth directly. They saw and heard Jesus of Nazareth through the apostles, especially Paul, and through his epistles, including this epistle. But look at those three verses, 17 through 19, as it describes the Gentiles. And brethren, there's one thing we ought to be very thankful for today. And Paul would put it this way in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But God be thanked that we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel. It is a blessing from God not to be the darkened, blighted, blind, ignorant, foolish, wicked, crazy, greedy, lust chasers like those three verses describe. That is what we are by nature. That is what we are by our first birth. If it weren't for the grace of God, that's the way we would be right now. We wouldn't be in a place like this. We'd be out doing some things very, very different, contrary to Jesus of Nazareth. Why are you here? Because God has done a work in our souls and changed us. I remember a time where I didn't care about the things of Jesus of Nazareth. Though I had two loving parents that did care and tried to put that care in me, they couldn't put that care in me. I didn't have it. The Lord had to put it in me. But we are bound to give thanks all the way to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. 
through sanctification of spirit and belief of the truth. And that is the order. God has to sanctify us and give us a holy new nature before we will ever believe the truth. So when we look at these verses, and these verses are horrible. These aren't politically correct statements, would you say? This isn't very nice. The way Paul describes the Gentiles in verses 17 through 19, we're not to walk the way the world walks. We're not to be conformed to the world in verse 17 because they walk in the vanity of their mind, their ideas of a lifestyle and their ideas of a philosophy and their ideas of our origin and their ideas of our end. Their ideas of our purpose are the vanity of their mind. Profitless folly. That's what vanity means. Profitless folly. What would the Solomon write when he considered all the philosophies that men had come up with and ever would come up with? All is vanity. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And vexation of spirit. That's how Gentiles walk. And we'd be living a fruitless, worthless life if it were not for the grace of God. Verse 18 says, what's, what's these Gentiles? Why do they walk in the vanity of their mind? Why are they following a fruitless, profitless, empty course of life? Because their understanding has been darkened. They're alienated from the life of God by the ignorance that is in them. Men are full of ignorance by an education without regeneration. They're ignorant because of the blindness of their heart. This is depravity. Depravity results in ignorance, but it starts in the heart. When people first hear about the doctrine of total depravity that we believe, that man, by nature, by his first birth, is totally depraved and cannot please God, will not please God, we reject the doctrine of free willism because man doesn't have a free will. He will never choose to follow Jesus Christ unless God does a work in his heart. Here is how it's explained. When, when you explain it to someone the first time, and they may be a skeptic or they may not, they may just be trying to understand, they will say... But the wicked still have all the intellectual capacities of the righteous. And we say, you are right. They still have all the intellectual capacities. But what is the source of right thinking? It's the heart. It is the affections. That is what is depraved. Jonathan Edwards wrote a great long work that you don't want to try to read, but you may want to look for a summary of it somewhere, called A Strict and Careful Inquiry into All the Notions about the Freedom of the Human Will, in which he condemned the idea as being preposterous. But he explained that it's not up here. It's not that they're rewired, they're wired wrong up here. It's that this thing is wrong. And notice in verse 18 it says, Because of the blindness of their heart. It's the affections of men that are against God and for sin that cause the ignorance up here because they choose to believe a lie rather than choose to believe the truth. That is total depravity. And it's not until God changes our heart that we then change our way of thinking. And we use the same intellectual capacity to think God-directed thoughts against sin. It's listed right here in order for us. The understanding is darkened. They're alienated, alienated from the life of God by their ignorance because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling. See, they're, they're cold and dead, as the Bible would say in chapter 2 of this epistle, dead toward the things of God, but alive toward the things of the devil. They're past feeling, and they've given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. They can't get enough of sin from their heart. But ye have not so learned Christ. The point I'm trying to make right now, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so, be that ye have heard him. Have you heard him? If you've heard the Lord Jesus Christ, then you don't live like the people you go to work with. If you have heard the Lord Jesus Christ, then you don't live like the people you go to school with. If you have heard the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't live like the people that live around you. You live a different changed life because your heart's been changed. And it's brought knowledge and truth to your understanding. You don't follow the world. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. I want to promote and provoke you to love the words, the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ and to seek them out because it will change your life. There's so much more that could be said and we'll say it after our break. May the Lord, may the Lord get you and me to want to be more like Mary than to be like Martha. May we want to sit at the feet of Jesus and love our Master. Let's not come to Him just at nighttime for fear of the Jews. Let's come to Him in the daytime. Let's come. You afraid to carry a Bible at work? You afraid to pop one out of your briefcase at work? 
You don't have to be, you don't have to go and offend other people on the job. You don't have to steal from your employer by witnessing on the job. You can witness in the parking lot if you need to. But you can certainly use part of your lunch break to read the Word of God and to feed your soul on the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you will have heard Him. Then you will have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. He has saved us. He spoke the word of life into our hearts and changed us. He has resurrection power in his voice. He can say, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead four days comes forth, stinking, and all bound up, but he comes forth. And he spoke the word of life to us by saying, live to our souls. And he regenerated us by the power of the Spirit of God. Now we want to use that life. We don't want to squander that life and that grace. We want to use it to sit at his feet and learn all that he can tell us so that our lives will look the life like the life of Jesus Christ himself, that we can truly be worthy of the name Christian. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.